0: Well, it was my first time not being in the water and felt a little strange, but it was fun giving them a high five, but you know what I really enjoyed about watching that take place was was looking at you and looking at the smiles on your faces, the joy that I saw here in the congregation. Now, last week I talked about preaching an award-winning sermon. Today I wanna talk about living a rewarding life, a life that is rewarding now and in eternity. Until his death in 1976, Maxie Jarman was the longtime president of JESCO Shoe Company in Nashville. In his lifetime, he gave away millions and millions of dollars. Near the end of his life, the country experienced a financial crisis, which led to a drastic reduction of his net worth. He was asked in an interview, do you regret giving so much away? And he said, absolutely not. Because all that I gave away is all that I have left. All that I gave away is all that I have left. In Matthew 16, 27, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Now, today I get to kick off a new sermon series about generosity. For centuries, the people of God have been identified by a common thread, and that is generosity. A true follower of Jesus, hear this, a true follower of Jesus does not see themselves as a container of blessings, but a conduit of blessings. Does not see themselves as a reservoir to hold blessings in, but to release blessings to the world. The intentional, generous life pleases God, blesses others, and has an eternal benefit. And I will tell you, the reason I'm up here two weeks in a row is because I love talking about generosity. I love to tell you how generosity has changed this church, and how God has moved in amazing ways. There are over 2,000 verses in in the Bible on finances and possession. Now, that means the Bible must like to talk about money. In fact, 15%, 15% of all of Jesus' words were about money. More than he spoke about heaven, which we all wanna go there, right? More than he spoke about hell, which you wanna avoid, he spoke about money. Now, why is that? Because Jesus knew how much money controls people and how much people try to control money. The happiest and most peaceful people I know are the most generous people I know. They're, 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 They're just, full of happiness. In fact, the Harvard Business School did a study on generosity and surveyed 600 people and found out those who shared their wealth had a higher level of happiness compared to those who spent their wealth on themselves. In the book, Paradox of Generosity, people who give are more likely to be healthier and happier than those who don't give. Now, if you're listening to my voice today, You've been blessed with generosity. You've been blessed by the incredible, generous grace of God. You've been blessed by the mercy of God. And if you're breathing today, you've been blessed with today. You know how much, you can't afford to buy today. No amount of money you have can buy today, but God has given you today. And I pray that God will give you many more today. I'm, I'm hoping for a few more myself. But it's a gift of God, the generosity of God. So many of in you, in all of you have experienced generosity. Some of you in this room have demonstrated generosity in an amazing ways. And some of you in this room, and listen to my voice, are observers of generosity. You've observed it. You've witnessed it. You've seen it. But you've never experienced it. In Acts 20:35, Luke writes, "In all things I have shown you, how. Working like this, you must help the weak." remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how He read, and how he said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." Now as we get into this series, I want to clarify what God's word says about generosity because there's a lot of confusion about generosity. I want to challenge us to trust God. I want to celebrate the generosity of this church and I I want God to break some chains of fear about generosity. I want God to break some chains of greed. I want God to break some chains of confusion. And the only way I know how to do that is to read God's Word. So would you stand for me as we read together God's Word from 1 Timothy 6. Now when I say read together, I want you to read this with me. Because this is the Word of God for the people of God. Read it with me, would you read with me? Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness the word of God for the people of God now are you thankful for this difficult passage let's say it again the word of God for the people of God Father God I thank you for your word I thank you for your love I thank you for your grace I thank you for your generosity I thank you for all the blessings that we enjoy here living in America, living in South Carolina, living in Lexington County, living in the city of Lexington or Gilbert or the surrounding areas. Thank you, Father God, for your blessings. And Father God, help us, help us to be a blessing. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Now, I added those last couple verses there as a reminder to myself, Timothy, Jeff, Guard what God has given you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so called knowledge. I will tell you that the number one kickback, pushback, resistance that I receive in preaching is on generosity and on finances. Because now, Pastor, you've gone to meddling. You've gone from preaching, you've gone to meddling. You know, you're messing with my business here, you know? But the reality is, none of this is our business. All this is God's business. And I just want to give you a, head, a heads up because I want you to know this, because one day, and I'll say this in a minute, that when you and I stand before God at the end of our life, we are going to give an account. And I don't want you to say, well, my pastor never told me. You know, he, he, he never mentioned this. You know, can I get a pass on that? Uh-uh, not for me. You know, so I'm going to tell you straight up what what the Word of God says to clarify. You know, some may be thinking, you know, it says in there that uh, that this is teach those who are rich in this world. Well, I'm okay with that. Uh, Speak to the rich, not to me. The reality, if you're listening to my voice today, you're incredibly rich. You're rich by the world standards. The average yearly income in the world is $12,609 a year. The average U.S. income is three times that amount, which is $36,000 a year. Now here in Lexington and the Midlands area, it's much higher than that. But what about the yearly income that some of our ministry partners in the countries that we bless with generosity. Well, in India, the average yearly income in India is $1,670 a year in India. Are you feeling rich? Now, we are, we're, we're blessing the people of India. We have purchased land for a new church, Prashanth, one of our ministry partners is here. We uh, minister to over 160 children in an orphanage there. We have ministries in the red light district in India. Kenya, where Pastor Faye just returned from a mission where we support over 100 students. Kenya, the average income, yearly income, is $1,550 a year. In Liberia, where we're building 10 houses, and we support 10 students who are doing graduate work at the university, Liberia's average annual income is $1,419. And in Haiti, just below Florida, not far from us at all, where we support college students and other ministries in in Haiti, the average yearly income is $1,250 a year. Are you feeling rich? We are very rich. You know, in addition to those places and many more places that we partner with, a a few years ago, we had a compassion weekend here at Mount Horeb. And we made a call. Compassion made a call to support children in Kenya, in Indonesia, and in Haiti. And this congregation stepped out and stepped up, and now we're sponsoring over nine hundred children. Isn't it amazing? We can celebrate that. That's just something we're celebrating. Now, I can tell you, as a pastor, and I kind of keep track of our finances and see how God is doing here at Mount Horeb. I thought, you know, that'd be great to have a Compassion Sunday and sponsor some kids. 900 kids? That $38 a month times 12? That's $400,000 that you committed to as a congregation that never touched our budget. We never saw a blimp on the budget radar because you were being generous. Your capacity went beyond what Mount Horv was doing to just including that as a separate entity So compared to the vast majority of the world, we are all very rich, and some are richer than others. So some clarity from this passage, I glean, trust in God more than you trust in your money. You know, our money says on it, trust in God, right? But how many of us really believe that? God is much more reliable and dependable than your money, and God will meet all of your needs, Not all of your wants, but all of your needs. As I was looking back over 30 years of stewardship sermons, it was just amazing to see the progress that Mount Horb has made through the years. And I look back, especially what one year stood out in 2008, when I preached on generosity in the midst of a great economic crisis. When the stock market had collapsed and people's pensions had collapsed and people's businesses were struggling. And I look back in rear view and see how reliable God was, how dependable God was, and how we made it through that. And right now, we're in a tremendous financial crisis, but do we trust in God or do we trust in the stock market? Do, do we trust in God or do we trust in our pension plan? Do we trust in God or do we trust in, 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 in people that are making decisions about inflation? I wanna trust in God because he is faithful. Now, also it says in here to clarify, there's nothing wrong with enjoying your blessings as long as you're using your blessings to bless others. You hear that? Nothing wrong with enjoying your blessings as long as you're using your blessings to bless others. Someone shared it with me Friday morning uh, that their family has, uh, has discerned that God is using them to be financial missionaries. Now they're not personally going to the mission field, but they're making it possible for a lot of people to go to the mission field. And their, their blessings are blessing thousands of people around the globe. And then it says, always be ready to give. And one of the reasons that we're not ready to give, because we have not created enough margin in our lives. We are so overextended that we can't be ready to give. We, have, we don't have enough time to be able to serve because we don't have, haven't got enough margin in our lives. Part of being a follower of Jesus is denying yourself, creating margin to to live, to serve, to grow, to give. Now, one of the stewardship principles I want to give you today to take home, make sure you write this down, take a picture of it, hold on to it. It's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. It is not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. It says in the text, by doing this, Timothy, By doing this, Jeff, by doing this, Mount Horeb, they will be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future, so they may experience true life. Now, too many of us are worried about experiencing the good life. And the good life comes and goes, but the true life lasts for eternity. God wants us to experience true life, not just the good life. Now I wanna read you another text, interesting text out of Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning at verse seven. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Hard-hearted and tight-fisted is usually the symptoms of a non-generous life. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone a loan because the year for canceling deaths is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. So give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There there will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. The way they catch monkeys in Southeast Asia is to put some bananas in a barrel and to cut a hole big enough for a monkey to stick its hand or paw and arm into the, into the barrel. And when the, when the monkey does that, the monkey grabs a banana, right? And then the, the, then the monkey tries to pull the banana out the hole, it won't work. And, and so the, the monkey keeps trying to, Get the banana out the hole. Banana, it's not like a song, banana out the hole. But you get the banana out of the hole, it won't happen. And the, and the monkey becomes tired and the hunter captures the monkey. And all the monkey had to do was let go of the banana. But he couldn't let go of the banana. There are people listening today that with both hands clenched are trying to hold on to what they have that they don't realize it's robbing them of their freedom and God and the victory that God has in store. Don't let that be you. Don't be so tight-fisted and hard-hearted that you're missing the freedom that God has for you. I love this statement. When we hold up what we treasure, we reveal what has a hold on us. And a lot of us, whether it's on social media or wherever, we like to hold up what we treasure, but when we do that, we reveal what has a hold on us. And what we hold on to tightly reveals what has a stranglehold or a stronghold over our lives. So why are we tight-fisted with God's money? I didn't say your money, I said God's money. One of the reasons we're tight-fisted is we say, I can't afford to give. There's never gonna be enough left at the end of the month I would tell you what I've learned over 50 years of doing this and reading from scripture and seeing in other people's lives, if we will put God first and give to God first, there's always enough left at the end of the month. But if you wait to the end of the month to give to God, there's never enough left at the end of the month. I can tell you I've seen that happen so many amazing times in our own life. Fear is one of the most common barriers to biblical generosity. Now, I can understand that fear if someone is coming out of poverty or bankruptcy and may take a little while to build back up trust. And and one of the great testimonies was the testimony of of my wife's parents, Jack and Lois Ergal, who've gone on to hear the words, well done, that good and faithful servants. They went through a bankruptcy. They went through where they almost lost everything. But my mother-in-law, even though my father-in-law didn't agree, she never stopped giving. She never stopped putting God first. And God brought them through that time, brought them through that season. And whenever they both died, they had more than enough. Angel, who sang on the stage a little bit ago, we were talking about fear, and she was talking about her daughter trying out for a musical and how afraid she was. And she said these words to her daughter, and I love these words. Your freedom is on the other side of your fear. Your freedom is on the other side of your fear. You wanna experience freedom in your finances? Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid that you've got to manage it, that God can't handle it. I tell you, God can handle your finances. God created this whole universe and can cover that for you and work that with you. You know, I I remember the story of a pastor who had preached a sermon like this and preached on tithing and giving 10%. I believe strongly and that's a good starting point for giving. And, 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 and a businessman came to see the pastor and says, Pastor, you know, I've, I got my calculator out and I started doing the math on that tithing thing and, and, and I'm not sure I can afford that. That's a lot of money. And I haven't got that kind of, you know, money available. And the pastor says, well, John, let's pray together. So John prays, pastor prays to John and says, uh, Father God, thank you for blessing us so much. And I just pray right now you begin to reduce John's income so he can afford to tithe. <laughs> now, can you imagine what, that, what John felt about that? Whoa, I don't mean that. I can't afford to give. Second thing is, we say that what that generosity is for just the rich people. You know that most of the, of the giving in the world, the higher percentage of giving in the world is from those who have less than those who have more i never forget, we were doing a, a capital, small capital campaign here, I mean, at that time it was huge for us, but we were buying some property, this was a long time ago, and we were trying to raise a million dollars on a weekend to buy this property, and it, we had three or four services in the sanctuary there, and the counters, uh, the, the finance chair and finance committee were counting the gifts, and we were announcing them between services where we were at, and, and, and they didn't come out for a long time after one of the services, and, I found out later they were weeping in the back room counting because in their counting they had a check for $20,000, which was an amazing gift from someone. But just beneath the check for $20,000 were two $10 checks with a post-it note on the $10 that said, you can cash the first one, but please save the second one after Christmas. Now who experienced the greatest joy of generosity? Was it the $20,000 gift? or the two $10 checks. I'm pretty sure that it was the person who gave $20. And maybe they're in the room today and maybe they remember how God blessed them out of that. God wants all of us to experience the power of generosity, the joy of generosity. And then one reason we don't give is maybe we think Mount Horb doesn't really need my help or God doesn't really need his money back right now. I believe we need to give because generosity demonstrates our trust in God. It demonstrates that we trust God. Generosity magnifies and glorifies God. And I believe that our relationship with God's money reveals the depth of our relationship with Christ. We say, well, you know, I I like to measure my my, my spiritual life by how many times I come to church or how many times I read the Bible or how many things I, I, I service I do. But, but not my money. Don't, don't check on that. I believe that that's where it really, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, where we really see the depth of our spirituality. You know, I believe that tithing is biblical. I believe it's a starting point. It's a ground floor of giving, of generosity. Lynn and I have been giving our tithe to Mount Horde for many, many, all of our ministry here. Uh, and then we give outside of the church to support other ministries. And, and Mount Horb, we see the same thing. Did you know that over 30% of everything that Mount Horeb receives goes out these doors? You know, we have a budget of a little over $6 million and two, more than $2 million every year goes now to missions. Isn't that amazing? We can celebrate that. See, that's, that's how we should be giving generously beyond the scope of Mount Horeb. I remember years ago, again in 1995, and I was preaching a sermon on missions and how we needed to, to, to release what God has blessed us with at Mount Horde. We were a very small church. Our mission budget was $250. That was our mission budget. Our weekly need was $1,600 a week. And I preached on that, and the next couple of days later, a guy comes into my office who God had changed his heart. It had saved him out of a lifestyle that was corrupt and, and not healthy for him and, and not a good lifestyle. He was living at the embassy suites, driving to Lexington to come to Mount Horde. And, and he walked to my office and says, Hey Preacher, I believe in what you said about missions, and I wanna give $5,000 a week for the next six weeks to help missions start at Mount Word. And So this gentleman gave $30,000 out of the gate, blew us away, we'd never seen anything like that, and we started giving to missions. I had our financial director go back and look at how much money has come in and gone out for missions and apportionments and all that over the last 25 years. You know what that number is? $16.9 million. Amazing. Now, think about whenever this gentleman steps into eternity and says, Hey, you gave this investment of 30 grand, and now it's well, almost 17 million. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a little bit, and look what I've done. Now, many people contributed to that fund through the years, but that, that's the, the kind of math that only God can do in generosity. You know, I want to celebrate that last week, Mount Horeb your generosity, we met our 2022 budget last week. Isn't that amazing? And we can celebrate that. So the rest of the year is, is building a cash reserve so that we can see what God wants us to do next and how to bless others and bless ministry. Someone asked me, I see uh, Emma sitting out there. Emma, you're gonna be getting a, a text or an email later today, tomorrow, about somebody who says, hey, there's a family that has some real needs. Do we come alongside families and help families? Absolutely, right? God has already met our needs. We've gotta meet other needs. Now, here, here's the thing that is concerning for me, and I need, to, I need to say, is that in meeting our budget for 2022 already, 38% of our membership contributed to that. So far in 2022, 62% of the membership of Mount Horb has not given anything for God's work in Mount Horeb. Now. That's concerning to me. And, and really, it's not really, I'm not, the, I'm not the issue. It's concerning to God that we are, are being tight-fisted with what God has put into our life. And imagine the good and the change that happened happen in the world if all of us were part of generosity. Second Corinthians 9, 6 says, Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the next church I wanna give you is this. We are not owners, we are overseers. We are not owners, we are overseers. That's a surprise for some people listening today. You mean, I don't own the house? No, you really don't. You're, you're overseeing it for God's glory and God's use. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord, and what does it say? Say, I didn't hear you, and everything in it, including Nine Downing Circle, which is where Lynn and I live. Everything in it, the world and all of his people belong to him. So here's a reality check. God didn't die and leave everything to us. You know, when we realize that we're not owners, we start to loosen our grip in what we're trying to control and what we're trying to contain. Jesus tells this incredible parable in Matthew 25. He tells a parable of a, of, a, of, a, of a master who's gonna go on a long trip. And, and he brings in three servants. He says, I'm gonna give you servants some of my money. I'm gonna give you some of my wealth. And to one, I'm gonna give you five talents, which is $5,000. To the second servant, he says, I'm gonna give you two talents, which is $2,000. And to one of you, I'm gonna give the third, I'm gonna give one talent, which is $1,000. Matthew 25 verses 14 through 31. You can go and read it there, Jesus speaking. And he goes on this long trip. Now, the first thing to realize is the master gave them his money. and He says, I want you to manage this. I want you to take care of, I want you to take some risk. So after a long time away, the master comes back and he asks for an account. What have you done with what I've given you? How have you used it? Well, the first one comes back and says, Master, I took the five talents $5,000, and 100% return is $10,000. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You are faithful in little things. I'm going to make you faithful in big things. Second one comes in, 100% profit from two talents to four talents, from $2,000 to $4,000. Well done, same thing. Third comes in, what did he do with this? He buried it. He kept hold of it. He wouldn't let it go. He was afraid to fail. He was afraid to take a risk. I want to encourage you, if that's you today, go read Matthew 25, near the end, and Jesus deals very harshly in the story with a person who held onto everything. Today, I want us to be free to go and make a difference, to step out and to live dangerously to take chances with your life and and do good for his name's sake. Don't bottle up your life so you hang on to it at all costs. And when you get to the end, your life is full of regrets. Live life generously because God is the owner and he has expectations of us as his overseers. They're not easy expectations, but they're fair. He's not here right now physically. It's a long distance relationship. He has delayed accountability. Well, one day he's gonna ask us some questions. You know, owners, and maybe you feel like you're an owner today. Here's the question that owners ask. How much of my money am I gonna give to God? How much of my money am I gonna give to God? Overseers say, how much of God's money will I keep for myself? How much of this, of God has given me, am I gonna keep for myself? And how much am I gonna give away for the glory of God? In Deadwood, South Dakota, there's a museum from the gold rush days. And there's a a written inscription from a greedy prospector. It says, I lost my gun. I lost my horse. I've run out of food. The Indians, they're after me, but I've got all the gold I can carry. Some of us are living our lives that way. The Indians are after us. We're in trouble, but I've got all the gold I can carry. Friends, we're gonna be accountable to God one day and these are gonna be the questions overseers will be asked from God, I believe. What did I give you? What did you spend it on? And what eternal value has been gained? Important questions, right? We need to learn to loosen our grip and trust God with what God has given us oversight over. Take some risk, take some challenges, take some opportunities and see what God can do We need to relax a little bit. I heard a story this week of an older lady in her 80s. She was afraid she would be attacked, so she bought her a gun. She went shopping, she got her grocery bag, she she made it out to the parking lot, she gets to her car, and there's four men sitting in her car. She drops the bags, pulls her gun out, says, I've got a gun, and the four men jump out of the car and run for their lives, right? Puts the gun away, picks up her groceries, puts them in the car, puts her key in the ignition, but it doesn't fit. She begins to realize that she's in the wrong car. Her car is four spaces down. She does only what she can do. She gets the four bags of groceries, walks over to her car, drives herself to the police station, turns herself in, and the officer's laughing. He says, "Goes down on the end of the aisle are four men who are reporting a carjacking by a, a gray-haired woman carrying four bags of groceries. We need to relax a little bit. It's not your car. It's not your house. It's not your account. It all belongs to God. and He's an incredible advisor. His wisdom knows no ends. And If we will trust him with what, what he's given us, it'll be a tremendous blessing. So one final stewardship principle, I love this principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Folks, we can't take it with us. Now, Stephen King, the novelist, may not understand the biblical meaning of generosity, but in his writing, he demonstrates a more accurate view than many Christians have of generosity. I wanna read to you something Stephen King wrote. Big graphic, but that's his nature. He says, a couple years ago I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood, with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my pocket, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. He wrote, We come into this world naked and broke we may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all that is mostly smoke and mirrors. So I ask you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is a loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. Jesus said, do not lay up treasures on the earth where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but instead, store your treasures in heaven, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I long for many of you to learn to experience the joy, the happiness, the healthiness of living a generous life. Let me pray with you. Father God, I pray that right now, that you would be at work all across this room, all across our campus. Thank you for the incredible generosity of this church, the impact that people are making here locally, globally, India, Liberia, Kenya, Haiti, many other countries. And I pray that you'd help many who are listening to move from fear to faith, from thirst to trust, from greed to generosity, and from confusion to confidence. Lord God, thank you for what you're doing, but thank you what you're about to do in people's lives today as they step out in faith and trust you. ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.